Welcome, friends, to the Court of the Trashy Royals, where every Thursday we explore our betters behaving badly, oh, so badly, all through time. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, Alicia here. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our voyage into the Trashy Victorians. Last week we talked about young Queen Victoria's childhood and the Kensington system, and next week, Queen Victoria's marriage will soon be headline news, but today, it's time to fit in a few bits of salacious scandal in this episode before we get Queen Victoria hitched. What's coming today? A little bit more about John Conroy, the something of Queen Victoria's trashy mama. Sure, possibly lover, definitely co-conspirator in the childhood hostage drama that played out for 18 years, apparently. Mostly just a big failure. So John Conroy, number one. Next, we're going to talk about Lord Melbourne. He is Queen Victoria's first prime minister. He has a few scandals in his life. Excellent. We're going to wrap up with the 1839 scandal of Flora Hastings. Believe it or not, it all connects together in the time period right after young Victoria assumes the throne. It ain't easy being queen. Before we begin today, we do have a scroll here with some names of the good nobles who've joined us over for early and ad-free episodes at patreon.com slash trashyroyalspodcast. Ah, the good nobles. Thank you to Amy B., Kai, Sarah E., John M., Heather and Whitney D., Cindy M. and Rebecca L. $2 a month gets you into the community there, early ad-free episodes, and we are so grateful for you. Big thanks to all of our newest Patreon supporters, and thanks to you for joining us for today's episode. Let's go ahead and get into this one. Again, it ain't easy being queen. Let us anon to the years from 1837 to 1839, in the court of Queen Victoria and her scandalous beginnings. All right, Alicia, we all remember Queen Victoria, mostly from later. She was on the throne for decades. Let's talk about the beginnings of what would turn into a really monumental monarchy. Yeah, Queen Victoria less trashy than her court and the people around her. As we know, Queen Vix was only 18 years old when she ascended to the throne in 1837. Remember, her sick uncle of a king holds on to stay alive, to essentially defeat the Duchess of Kent and John Conroy. Right, to cut out her mother and ensure no no regency. So here's Victoria. She's young. She's been sheltered and isolated and controlled for so long. And I do want to fold some cheese here. Let's fold the cheese of Trashy and just talk a little bit more about John Conroy. Sure. This guy. John Conroy was of Anglo-Irish aristocratic descent. He originally served as the Duke of Kent's military aide-de-camp long before the Duchess came around. So this was Queen Victoria's father. Correct. Who died when she was an infant. Correct. 
And as you mentioned, the Duke dies. So at this time, John Conroy becomes comptroller of the household of the widowed Duchess of Kent. What John Conroy was supposed to do (laughs) was manage the finances of the Duchess of Kent and be her chief of staff. What he actually did was turn his job into a shameless power grab. Again, it's not the first time that we've seen this. It will not be the last time either. But old John Conroy could read a genealogical table with the best of them. And he realizes that Princess Victoria is most certainly likely to become Queen Regnant. So John, as we know, devises the Kensington system to keep young Vicks under control of Mama and John. The Duchess of Kent totally in on this plan. Big collaboration here. And Victoria naturally loathes John Conroy. She resents her mom for this too. Remember when Victoria was ill with typhoid fever? The Duchess of Kent, her trashy mama, and John Conroy try to force her into signing that document, making the Duchess of Kent her regent until Victoria is 21. She is saved, Victoria is, by Louise Lazen. The nanny. The governess. The, yeah, sorry. I Wow, yes. Governess. Governess. Louise is going to come back around in this story. It really does all come together. So Victoria finds the strength to refuse this. And when Victoria's uncle, King William IV, dies, Victoria was, ah, is 18. First thing she does, remember, demands a room of her own. <laughs> also, she boots John Conroy out. So Victoria moves to Buckingham Palace and refuses to let her mother visit her quarters without permission. And John Conroy cannot come anywhere near Victoria at all. Queen Victoria can't force her mother to fire John Conroy, so he will remain the Duchess's comptroller. He's still in her household. But again, John Conroy is not very good at his job. Because the Duchess just keeps getting deeper and deeper into debt. Hmm. So John Conroy, at best, right, is just incompetent. At worst, he's an embezzler. So not great in 1837 as Queen Victoria assumes her reign, but she does have her own bedroom. And that's got to be cool for the first time ever at 18, can you imagine? I'm in charge. What What do you even do first, Queen Victoria, now that you have managed to land your own bedroom? It's only up from here, right? <laughs> but Queen Victoria, super educated, super sheltered. Victoria does move into Buckingham Palace. She was the first monarch to actually live in Buckingham Palace. John Conroy banished from the royal court. Now, Victoria can't banish her mom, but I do want to let you know that the relationship between the Duchess of Kent and Queen Victoria was tense (laughs) and icy for many, many years. The two will become closer as time goes on, and by the time the Duchess of Kent dies, Queen Victoria seems to have forgotten a whole lot about her childhood of being controlled. A lot of this evidence is based on the depth of Victoria's mourning for her mother that she writes about in her journals. Another story for another day. Because today we have a young queen 
who will, at the beginning of her reign, turn, like all the top people in charge do, at least from 1720 onward, who do you turn to for advice and counsel when you assume your king or queen position? Would that be the prime minister of the United Kingdom? Was it the United Kingdom at the time? Yes. Anyway, England, yeah. okay. The PM, the PM, the prime minister. So young Queen Victoria has a very, very close relationship with her much older first prime minister. This is Lord Melbourne, who is also known as William Lamb. He is the second Viscount Melbourne. Remember last week when we talked about Victoria and her relationships with men? This is going to be the guy, Lord Melbourne, is the guy who is the most influential for Victoria in the beginning of her reign. Many folks speculate that Queen Victoria and Lord Melbourne are in love despite their 40-year age gap, which is not the case, but of course speculation. Lord Melbourne, William Lamb, he's distinguished, he's handsome, he's charming. He will definitely fill a void for the young Victoria as a wise, attentive father figure. He comes in and teaches her a lot about the government and her role as queen. Remember, she couldn't hang out with any of her dad's family. Right, nor could she hang out with other children for the most part. It's not actually a big surprise that an older man would would be a natural resource for her in terms of learning about life outside of the Kensington system. Well, and the Duchess of Kent and John Conroy are not going to be your best examples for how to queen. Mm -hmm. Lord Melbourne, big deal to young Victoria. In the first few years of her reign, these two spend five or six hours together every single day. It is a crash course in government. As such... Lord Melbourne has an enormous influence over Victoria and is probably lucky at this point to get young Victoria because he's able to shape her thoughts Mm -hmm. about a number of things. Her detractors, however, the people who aren't really into Queen Victoria, refer to her as Mrs. Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these two, Melbourne and Victoria, begin working together when she assumes the throne. And this isn't anywhere near scandalous. Whatever, five to six hours, Mrs. Melbourne. That's not a thing. He's teaching her how to queen. But Lord Melbourne, before, holy cats, he gets to mentor and steer young Victoria. All of his trash happened so much earlier in life. Are you ready? He's got a few scandals attached to him. He's no stranger to speculation or gossip. Lord Melbourne, uh had a quite randy earlier history. This is long before Victoria's reign. So back in 1812, when Victoria was only seven years old, Lord Melbourne's wife, Caroline Ponsonby Lamb, Lady Caroline, holy cats, has a very, very public affair with the English poet and politician, Lord Byron. Lady Caroline is the one who coins the very famous characterization of Lord Byron as mad, bad, and dangerous to know. This scandal was the talk of Britain. Pre-Victorian scandal, but holy cats, it was a scandal. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you about Lady Caroline. She is from an old and respected aristocratic family. 
her aunt is Lady Georgina Spencer. Her uncle, okay. William Cavendish, the fifth Duke of Devonshire. Lady Caroline is raised and educated with all of their children. Lady Caroline is also an older relative uh, of Diana, Princess of Wales. Okay. It all connects. Everybody connects in the British peerage. Lady Caroline, from an early age, kind of a delicate constitution. She is well-educated. She's a crack wit of a writer. She will meet and fall in love with Lord Melbourne in 1802, I believe. She has, they get married. They're very much in love, but she does have some difficult childbirths. Lord Melbourne, off doing government things, and Lord Melbourne's family hates Lady Caroline. They can't stand her. They call her the little beast. Yikes. So you can see Lady Caroline with perhaps a delicate physical constitution. Oh, a whole lot of laudanum going on Mm. is perhaps unhappy in her marriage with Lord Melbourne by 1812 or so. So even before her scandalous affair with Lord Byron, Lady Caroline was already kind of known throughout the countries. (laughs) for her scandalous and outrageous behavior. A little bit of an interesting fact here about Lady Caroline. She was the one who introduced the waltz to England. (laughs) The very first waltz was performed at Brockett Hall, their country estate. But that's not exactly trashy. (laughs) Lady Caroline, holy cats. This is some of her outrageous behavior. (laughs) Lady Caroline once emerges from a soup tureen celebrating her husband's birthday and dances naked oh, wow. upon a ballroom table. That table is still in use for today's banquets. So <laughs> well, they don't make tables like they used to anymore. Guess not. Now, the thing I need to let you know is that Lord Melbourne's wife, Lady Caroline, is way more into Lord Byron than Lord Byron is into Lady Caroline. Lord Byron, who has enough problems all on his own without adding Lady Caroline's problems into his spreadsheet, breaks things off with her. And Lord Melbourne is like, oh man, he's going to take his disgraced wife, Lady Caroline, back to Ireland. But Lady Caroline, distraught, she's pining for Lord Byron, even in her exile in Ireland. She's writing him all of these adoring letters. Her exile in Ireland does not help Lady Caroline forget about Lord Byron. So when she comes back to London in 1813, Lord Byron again makes it clear, I am not interested, Lady Caroline. We are done. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. And how does Lady Caroline take that? Not great, because Lady Caroline is super persistent, and she won't make private attempts to reconnect with him. She will do this very publicly. So there's always a big scene, which naturally causes great embarrassment to her husband, a soon-to-be Viscount, soon-to-be, like, what right. is an up-and-coming politician? A, yeah, a rising political figure. So eventually, this all shakes down. Lord Byron, at one of these public I love you events, publicly insults Lady Caroline. This is at a large ball held at Lady Heathcote's home. And Caroline, to your point, does not handle it well. And Lady Caroline will get a wine glass and break it and use that 
broken glass to slash her wrists in the middle of the ball. Oh my gosh. She was not seriously injured and more than likely had no serious suicidal intent, more just looking to make a scene. Yeah. But this mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. A pretty major scandal. Mm -hmm. So Lord Byron, who talks about this and references the Scottish play, Mac B, by saying Lady Caroline performed the dagger scene. Oh my God. Mm hmm. That was his comment on the situation. So clearly, poor Lady Caroline, her mental stability was called into question after the ball. You would think, Lady Caroline, just get back with your husband, maybe tone it down, have a cookie. Is that what she does? Have some tea? No. In 1816, Lady Caroline publishes a gothic novel called Glenarvan, portraying her marriage with Lord Melvin and her affair with Lord Byron in lurid detail. Hmm. It is weird that he was able, her husband was able to continue ascending in politics with all of this going on. You ain't kidding, because this is embarrassing for mm. Lord Melvin. It creates a lot of enemies for him because Lady Caroline also writes in this Glenarvan book a lot of spiteful depictions of influential society royal court figures. So this is sort of a poison pen novel. It's bad. Despite all of this, Lord Melbourne, he is a dedicated guy. He does not abandon Lady Caroline. Even when his family, she's the little beast, Wills, come on, move along, bro. They're making every attempt they can for William, Lord Melbourne, just to divorce Lady Caroline. And neither one of them are faithful. They both engage in extramarital affairs. But ultimately, it is Lady Caroline who convinces her husband to agree to a formal separation in 1825. That is a lot of years of unhappiness and scandal. You ain't kidding. You got to think Queen Victoria looks like a walk in the lollipop park after Lady Caroline. Lady Caroline does get her separation in 1825. However, her struggle with mental instability grows worse in her last years. This is complicated off the charts by her misuse of alcohol and again, a whole lot of laudanum going on. Now, Victoria is not even to the throne yet. We're here for scandalous. So let's talk about one other scandalous Caroline who intersects with Lord Melbourne a little bit closer to Victoria's time frame. In 1836, the year before Victoria assumes the throne. Lord Melbourne, right? Here, Caroline, his first wife, Lady Caroline, passed away in 1828. Okay. Ooh, okay, now he's wife free. I should be in no more scandals. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Until 1836. So what happens? This particular scandal was about Lord Melbourne and another Caroline, but an author this time, Caroline Norton. Now, this has serious political implications because... One of your favorite things, Caroline Norton's husband tries to blackmail Lord Melbourne. Hmm. Yeah, Caroline Norton's husband demanded 1,400 pounds from Lord Melbourne for the use of his wife, perhaps? And Lord Melbourne refuses. And so Caroline Norton's husband 
accuses publicly Lord Melbourne of having an affair with his wife. This is trashy Victorians. Are you ready? <laughs> Mr. Norton here goes so far to claim the lovers had both taken part in undignified spanking sessions. It's like they learned nothing from Alexander Hamilton's life. <laughs> the undignified spanking sessions, believe it or not, <laughs> were activities later substantiated by oh. other several <laughs> by several other aristocratic ladies that Melbourne had, had affairs with. Wow. Yeah, that's a thing that happened. So he had a kink. So once these accusations are made legally, a trial is in order. This time, Lord Melbourne has a great deal to lose. First up, the damages that Caroline Norton's husband were suing for is about a million pounds in today's money. So not insubstantial at all. Not insubstantial at all. Number two, if adultery was proven... Caroline Norton's husband could then divorce Caroline, mm -hmm. and Lord Melbourne's political career yeah. is over. So naturally, there's a trial. Large crowds gathered. Tickets to sit at the public benches were sold. It is a hot seat affair. The public is hungry for all of the lurid details of this alleged affair. Here's one report of the testimony. Quote, Melbourne, it was alleged, had frequently stopped off at the Norton's home, which was a five-minute stroll from Downing Street. He went in by the back door, and while he was there, no other visitors were admitted. The drawing room where Caroline received him was often bolted from the inside. Servants reported seeing kisses and hearing whispers from the bedroom. One claimed to have seen her on the floor with her dress all over the place and the thick part of her thigh exposed. Tacky evidence was given of suspicious stains on her clothing after his lordship's departure. There's literally, oh, sorry, unquote, literally nothing new under the sun. So when it is all said and done, the court and the trial actually concludes that adultery was not sufficiently proven. Hmm leaving no significant damage to Lord Melbourne's political career, Caroline Norton stayed married to her husband. And everyone was happy? <laughs> Carrying on here, Lord Melbourne is in right a position of power by the time Victoria assumes the throne. He's prime minister. And as prime minister, Victoria is going to hand Lord Melbourne some items to take care of. And one of those is, I want John Conroy out of here. So Lord Melbourne, wrapping it back around, goes to John Conroy and he's like, listen, dude, I will give you a pension of 3,000 pounds a year and a baronetcy plus an Irish peerage if one becomes available, if you just go, just go. But John Conroy wants more money but we'll come around to Melbourne's terms, but still the Duchess of Kent will not part with John Conroy. And although Victoria refused to believe that John Conroy was her mother's lover, there were rumors and John may have used those as leverage to get some of this preferred treatment. Keep John Conroy right there because he's coming back around again on the guitar. We got one more scandal that of Flora Hastings. Let's take a quick break here 
and come back to 1839. Can't wait. All right, Alicia, so we still have John Conroy to kick around. We do, but not after Lady Flora Hastings is kicked around first. Mm. It's terrible. So it's not surprising that a young and inexperienced queen would end up making some mistakes or errors in judgment when she's just, you know, stepping out into her regnancy. But Victoria's first major mistake caused an enormous scandal and does a great deal of harm to her reputation so much it's still being discussed and written about today. Hmm. Victoria assumes in 1837, it is in 1839, that a young Queen Victoria is embroiled in this scandal regarding the illness and subsequent death of a lady-in-waiting to her mother. This lady-in-waiting, her name is Lady Flora Hastings. She is the daughter of the first Marquess of Hastings. This is a titled lady, Mm -hmm. not somebody you just want to kick around. Lady Flora is lady-in-waiting to Princess Victoria's mother, the Duchess of Kent, prior to becoming queen and also remains a lady-in-waiting for Trashy Mama, Duchess of Kent, after Victoria assumes the throne. Lady Flora Hastings had been part of that Kensington system, the evil plot that Mom and her devious Mm -hmm. John Conroy developed, right? And so Queen Victoria, understandably, has negative feelings about Conroy, who had controlled and bullied her as a child and teenager, Her negative feelings, Victoria's, do carry over to other members of her mother's household, including Lady Flora Hastings. Queen Victoria has a deep distrust of Lady Flora. She will refuse to be in the same room as her. However, Lady Flora is still lady-in-waiting to the Duchess of Kent, which means everybody lives together at Buckingham Palace. It's a little uncomfortable. Not as uncomfortable as it could be as Queen Victoria sets her mother's rooms all the way on the other side of the palace. They're in the two most opposite rooms they can be. Okay. So it mostly keeps mom and Lady Flora and John Conroy away from Victoria. Queen Victoria has now gotten Conroy out of the way. Queen Victoria is now going to set her sights on really getting Lady Flora out of the way. And it is when Lady Flora begins having a swollen stomach and feeling ill and vomiting that rumors come alive. They're rampant that Lady Flora Hastings is pregnant. Well, the scandalous part of this is Lady Flora Hastings is unmarried. Knowing that Lady Flora and Sir John Conroy were friendly and believing that Lady Flora had been an accomplice to Conroy in his attempts to control Victoria in order to control the crown, Queen Victoria decides to act on the rumors of Lady Flora Hastings' unwed pregnancy. And it's not great. Queen Vix is spurred on by her confidant and former governess, Baroness Louise Lazen, as well as her lady-in-waiting, the Marchioness of Tavistock. The queen feels perfectly confident that these rumors are true. Queen Victoria, maybe feeling a little bit petty in her heart, feels like she has the proverbial smoking gun that would put not only Lady Flora Hastings out of commission, but John Conroy out of commission as well 
her tormentors will be shamed once and for all. I have a fun story about Anna Russell, the Duchess of Bedford. Hold on, we'll talk about that at the end as a little amuse-bouche. Okay. Okay. So here we are, Lady Flora Hastings. In Queen Victoria's prolific and detailed journal entries, right? She's been writing from 10. Queen Victoria will write about the rumors in February. This is February 2nd, 1839, about Lady Flora Hastings. We have no doubt that she is, to use plain words, with child. Hmm. Clark cannot deny the suspicion. The horrid cause of all this is the monster and demon incarnate whose name I forbear to mention. Interesting. The Clark that Queen Victoria refers to is Sir James Clark. This is Queen Victoria's personal physician, Who do you think the monster and demon incarnate is? That is John Conroy. Because Victoria thinks John Conroy is is the the father father of Lady Flora Hastings' child. Alleged baby. Alleged baby. So Lady Flora is not going to stand back and watch her reputation be slandered, even from the Queen of England. So Lady Flora vehemently defends herself and her honor. She goes as far as publishing an article in The Examiner denying the accusations that she was pregnant. Lady Flora doesn't stop there. She will point her finger at Baroness Lazen for spreading the rumors about this pregnancy. And that's as close, really, as Lady Flora can get to the queen. She can't accuse the queen of it, but she can accuse Louise Lazen. And although Lady Flora didn't name Louise Lazen, she referred to a certain foreign lady, quote unquote, in the Queen's household. Baroness Lazen was from Hanover and did speak with a thick accent. Now, this article does not deter Queen Victoria and her allies. You'd think like, oh, maybe we should do, you know, maybe we should stop. They don't stop. If anything, (laughs) this article makes Queen Victoria and her allies want to go harder at Flora Hastings and John Conroy. And now everybody is talking about the scandal. Sides are being chosen. A short time after that Examiner article was published, Sir James Clark informed Lady Flora Hastings that she was required to submit to an examination. Required. Mm -hmm. Queen Victoria was confident that this Physical and personal examination would confirm her suspicions about Lady Flora Hastings being pregnant. Yeah, there's some medical ethics problems here, but let's go ahead. So many. So Sir James Clark tells Lady Flora that the Queen's ladies said that she should be quickly and privately married due to her being with child out of wedlock. And naturally, Lady Flora is horrified and outraged and she denies the pregnancy but eventually has to, because she's required, to let the doctor examine her. So again, medically very, very bad. Mm-hmm. She initially, Lady Flora, refuses for this. But then Queen Victoria bans Lady Flora from court until she eventually Submits. relents. Yeah. Right. In her private journal, Lady Flora Hastings writes, Upon which he told me that nothing but my submitting to a medical examination would ever satisfy them and remove the stigma from my name. I found the subject had been brought before the Queen's notice, 
and all of this had been discussed and arranged and denounced to me without one word having been said to my own mistress, the Duchess of Kent, one suspicion hinted, or her sanction obtained for their proposing such a thing to me. My beloved mistress, who never for one moment doubted me, told them she knew me and my principles and my family too well to listen to such a charge. However, the edict was given. Finally deciding she has no other choice, Lady Flora allows herself to be examined. Afterward, Lady Flora says this examination is, quote, rough, prolonged, and painful, unquote. Now, much to the Queen's disappointment and eventual embarrassment, what does that examination prove? Not pregnant. Not pregnant, is Lady Flora Hastings. Sir James Clark reports that there were, quote, no grounds for believing that pregnancy does exist or has ever existed, unquote. In short, the doctors concluded that Lady Flora was still a virgin. So what was going on with her? Oh, we're going to talk about it. So here, Queen Victoria has been proven wrong and appears spiteful and petty crocker, right? The Queen decides to visit Lady Flora to apologize. And Lady Flora, in accepting the young Queen's apology, sort of puts Victoria in her place and says, I must respectfully observe, madam, I am the first and I trust shall be the last Hastings ever so treated by their sovereign. I was treated as if I was guilty without a trial. There's no defense or argument against this accusation. Queen Victoria had done exactly as Lady Flora had claimed. Instead of ruining Lady Flora's reputation, it was the Queen's reputation that ends up taking the hit. And so the scandal and the rumor mill don't stop after that examination once they prove no pregnancy existed. Lord Hastings. (laughs) Lady Flora's brother is a little mad. His sister's honor had been questioned. Her body had been violated. He decides to act. So Lord Hastings and guess who? Sir John Conroy Mm. work together to attack and malign the young queen and her doctor. Lord Hastings, John Conroy are determined to make sure that everyone knew about the queen's actions. And This pair retaliates through the press to discredit the queen and call her judgment into question. It's ugly. U-G-L-Y. And just when it seems the situation could not get any uglier, it's determined that Lady Flora's swollen stomach and her other symptoms were actually being caused by a cancerous liver tumor. Oh, no. So now Queen Victoria Uh. had not only questioned the honor of an innocent woman who is in the peerage, but now also a dying woman. Queen Victoria visits Lady Flora again just a few days before her death. She'll write about this visit in her journal. I found poor Lady Flora stretched on a couch, looking as thin as anybody can be who is still alive, literally a skeleton, but the body very much swollen like a person who is with child a searching look in her eyes, a look rather like a person who is dying. Her voice like usual, and a good deal of strength in her hands. She was friendly and said she was very comfortable and was grateful for what I had done for her, and that she was glad to see me look well. 
I said to her, I hoped to see her again when she was better, upon which she grasped my hand as if to say, I shall not see you again. Mm. Lady Flora Hastings does pass away July 5th, 1839. Her autopsy shows that she had a grossly enlarged liver, which was pressing onto her stomach. This scandal harms Queen Victoria's image in the eyes of her people, and her reputation will suffer for a while. The admiration and love, though, of the English people would return in full measure by the following year, when in February 1840, Queen Victoria marries Prince Albert and becomes pregnant with their first child within weeks of the wedding. The whole Lady Flora events and her actions would affect Victoria personally for many years to come. Victoria deeply regretted how she handled that situation. Yeah, and that's uh, straight up. She forced, she used state power to force someone to submit to an invasive medical exam. That's terrible. An early mistake. Yeah. <laughs> an early mistake. Like she does regret it. She swears she will never leap to such conclusions again of the entire situation. Victoria writes, I can't think what possessed me. Young, out for revenge. She will not be that rash again in her reign, I don't think. This was really, if not her biggest scandal, the biggest scandal that happened to her personally. Queen Victoria would reign for another 62 years after Lady Flora's death. So maybe it blew over a bit. <laughs> well, I mean, again, there are going to be other scandals that she causes and faces, but Victoria never repeats this same mistake. She will wise up. She'll get married in no time flat. And whoa, we've got so many Victorian scandals and royals to tromp through coming up. Two more things here, though. What happens to John Conroy? Ha <laughs> ha. John Conroy finally is convinced by the Duke of Wellington to get out of Buckingham Palace. Like after the Flora Hastings thing, you got to get away from the Duchess. You're terrible at your job, but you here not helping anything, Johnny boy. So <laughs> the Duke of Wellington convinces John Conroy to actually leave the country for a while, hmm. which he does. Because remember, John wants his Irish peerage mm -hmm. and his marks, but then Melbourne's out of office. And so he can't get that, but he will come back to England. John Conroy will in 1842, but he never returns to court. And John Conroy will die eventually insolvent in 1854. So if he had embezzled money from the Duchess, he doesn't have much to show for it at the end. He never will get that Irish peerage because by the time one became available, Lord Melbourne was no longer prime minister and the current government was like, John Conroy, go away. <laughs> Who's that? We've had enough of you. One more fun little bit about Anna Russell, who is the Marchioness of Tavistock and later the Duchess of Bedford. Just kind of a fun fact here. Anna Russell was a lifelong friend and lady of the bedchamber to Queen Victoria. Lady Anna's mother had been a lady of the bedchamber to Queen Charlotte, and her father had been governor and constable of Windsor Castle. Mm, okay. So Anna Russell, kind of a big deal. In the 1840s, so this is several years after the Lady Flora Hastings scandal. Anna Russell, who is now at this time the Duchess of Bedford, 
begins the much-loved English tradition of afternoon tea. Hmm. It is because of the Duchess of Bedford during the era of the trashy Victorians. How does this happen? So the Duchess of Bedford is visiting the Duke of Rutland. This is out in Leicestershire. Now, this happens at a place called Beaver Castle. If you are reading the word, you're never going to know that it's pronounced Beaver Castle. The spelling of this castle is B-E-L-V-O-I-R. Belvoir. So it's pronounced Beaver. Beaver Castle. Okay. Good job, English people. Nailing it. It's the whole pronunciation is a ride thing, right? Crackers. Okay, so at Beaver Castle, it is Anna Russell, the Duchess of Bedford, visiting her friend, the Duke of Rutland, and she's getting a little peckish one afternoon, a little bit hungry, because the normal dinner time at Beaver Castle was a little bit later than when she was used to eating. So Anna decides that she wants to have tea and cakes and sandwiches in the Mm mid-afternoon to tide her over until dinner was served at Beaver Castle between 7.30 and 8.30. I was going to say formal dinner would be in like later in the evening. Right. So the Duchess of Bedford realizes she quite likes having afternoon tea with snacks. Yum, this is pretty good. And she'll do it again the next day and the sure. next day. And sure. then begins inviting her friends to join her. And this new trend catches on. Sure. So afternoon tea is still a staple in many English homes but began with Queen Victoria's good friend, Anna Russell, the Duchess of Bedford. And people with hypoglycemia everywhere rejoice. (laughs) Holy cats. There was a lot in that story. John Conroy, as trashy crowns go, gets all of them. Embezzled somewhere where you end up with nothing. Poor Lady Caroline Lamb. You kind of feel for her. Yeah. Lord Uh Byron, you kind of feel for him, but he's pretty trashy as trashy goes. Lord Melbourne, I think, was just trying to get out of this alive and keep his career intact. You have all the sympathy for Lady Flora Hastings in this one. And thanks, Duchess of Bedford, for inventing afternoon tea, because I get a little peckish at four o'clock, too. Same. And those are the It Ain't Easy Being Queen, scandalous (laughs) beginnings of Queen Victoria et al. We will be back next week. Finally getting Queen Victoria hitched. Sure. To Prince Albert to carry on. Prince Albert in a can. (laughs) To carry on our trashy Victorians. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today at the Court of the Trashy Royals. And remember, you can listen early and ad-free at patreon.com slash trashydivorcespodcast. And we will be back next Thursday with more Victorian trashiness. Wedding bell time. (laughs) I love it. Keep your eye on the throne. Polish up those crowns. Banish John Conroy as Mm. fast as you can. Big love, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.